Welcome to Uninhibited, a podcast with the mission to discuss taboo, multicultural, multigenerational, and multilayered topics that matter to women. My name is Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki. I am an Ivy League-trained OBGYN practicing medicine in rural America. I am married and raising three dynamic African-American boys. I am a mother, a career professional, a part of Generation X, and so much more. I bring to the table a true desire for social justice that informs my opinions, and my hope is that this podcast will open conversations, question beliefs, and be transformative. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Uninhibited. I'm your host, Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki. Today, we have the pleasure of having Sharika. She is an outreach advocate uh, with a local uh, survivor response um, group. And today, we wanted to talk to her about intimate partner violence in teens and young adults. Um, or intimate partner violence, which also can be abbreviated as IPV. I think it'll be interesting for us to at least begin with the numbers because I started seeing some of it in my practice. um, And then I was wondering, was this just uh, a rarity? Was this just a, you know, a very small coincidence? And it really wasn't. The numbers say that one out of five women and one out of seven men have experienced intimate partner violence in their lifetime. And most of them say it started before they were 18. So again, so much of what we become and what shapes us begins as children and, and the intimate partner violence is no different. Um, furthermore, 16% or one out of six homicide victims are killed by an intimate partner and nearly half of female homicide victims in the U.S. are killed by a current or former male partner. Just let that kind of sink in, that half of the women that die in this country are killed by a current or former male partner. That that just is so spine-chilling to me. Um, Sharika... Um, introduce yourself and 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 give us more information about some of the the the, the faces behind these statistics. Um, yes, I've been with Southside Survivor Response Center for about four years now, and I work with teens, a lot of young adults, um, and a lot of older adults. What I am seeing is with intimate partner violence is you know the numbers are continuing to rise. Um, as I was doing some research, you know, trying to get ready for this podcast, I noticed that um, I found something that was just really interesting. And it said um, 80% of girls who have been physically abused in intimate partner violence relationships continue to date the abuser. Um, and then it's one in four children are, um, are exposed to at least one form of family violence in their lifetime. And one in three teens uh, is a victim of physical, sexual, emotional, or verbal abuse from a dating partner. So those numbers, you know, are really interesting because one in three, you know, and you have a, a high school of over a thousand kids, I mean, over a thousand people, you know, it's like that one in three really kind of stands out to you. No, definitely. Then, I was really surprised by the numbers when I uh, looked also because I think sometimes people think, 
it's a certain group, it's a certain type. And if you're talking about half of the women in America who are killed are killed by a, in, by a former, by either a current or former partner, that means it cuts across all races, all socioeconomic groups, all educational levels. There is no look of an abuser. Correct. And, you know, something also is, you know, no child or teen will have the same experience, not even if they're in the same household and witnessing the same event. So each time, you know, violence is witnessed, it's going to have a completely different effect on the person. And it's, it's, you know, it's a matter of how we're handling these situations, you know, with each person, each one is completely different. Um, and what another statistic that I found that was really interesting was 82% of parents feel confident that they could recognize if their teen was experiencing dating violence. But more than half of that number could not identify correctly the warning signs of abuse. Well, let's jump in. I, that wasn't like I wanted to save that for the la- the latter part of the call, but let's let's jump into what are the, the signs of violence because I wanted to have you maybe share some uh, stories of teenagers that have come to you so that we can look and see, you know, where did it start to go wrong? Okay. Well, um, I actually um, have three interesting stories that are very different. Um, My first case, you know, um, is this particular young lady, um, she saw her mother abused by her father. So she, when she started dating, she ended up dating someone that was exactly like her father. Um, she allowed the boy, her boyfriend to control her, isolate her. Um, parents had no control, and punishment only made things worse, which is kind of, you know, typical a typical situation when the parents try to punish them, the kids, the, um, the child rebels. So um, the team, we started to notice that the team was suffering from low self-esteem and depression. Um, parents started counseling and attending church, and team continued the relationship with the abuser. Um, the parents um, got law enforcement involved, and the team cut all communications off with parents. Um, the team was being really bad and was in the hospital for a few days. The parents, you know, continued to beg the team to leave the relationship. However, the team refused. Um, the team um, was isolated from parents, friends, um, and the team is still currently in the relationship. So I um, actually see this particular team's mom, and, you know, I see, um, that was just one particular situation that, um, you know, that was, that's happening. You know, the team, of course, when the parents try to, you know, remove the, the team from that situation, they only rebel. Um, the next situation and is... Just one question, Tarika. How old was the young lady when this started, and how old was the boyfriend? Because sometimes I think it's an age dynamic also, but maybe that's not the case in this particular case. The teen, um, when it started, was actually 15, and the boyfriend was 17. Okay. So not that big of an age difference. Um, mm-hmm. And then what was the uh, second case that you um, talked about, we're going to talk about? Um, the next one was seeing father abusing mother only one time in the um, child's life, in her lifetime, was up until now. But she heard arguing on a regular. Um, she started to act out um, at the age of 13, entered into an abusive relationship at the age of 15. Boyfriend was controlling and constantly accusing her of lying about her whereabouts, 
always um he was always playing the victim to situations that he created um she must attend every event and go everywhere with him um her likes and dislikes didn't matter it was now all about his likes and dislikes to her she started to change um watching tv this particular teen um, realized that you know she actually didn't like certain things that he don't he did not like um and seeing how happy other people are just from watching tv the teen reached out to um, a younger aunt um, to discuss the boyfriend's abuse. The aunt, helped the, teen, the aunt helped the teen escape. The teen has attempted suicide twice and is currently in counseling. Um, she's improving slowly, but has had many setbacks. So that was one, you know, one particular situation where she, you know, did, you know, feel comfortable enough to reach out to an adult and say, "Hey, this is what's going on. You know, I want to get some help." Um, so that was one particular situation, which I think that goes into having someone that you feel comfortable with talking, you know, when you don't understand. The next mm-hmm. um, situation is um, King comes from a great family, um, never witnessed any violence in the home. The parents, however, are very controlling. Parents allow the teen to date with supervision. The teen tries to live up to parents' expectations. However, parents don't cut the teen any slack. Um, the teen's grades slowly begin to drop. Parents blame because she just started dating. Um, the teen just starts dressing different, wearing black all the time. Um, the teen is diagnosed with depression and anxiety um, that from her PCT. Um, the teen tells a friend, uh, a male friend, about what's going on. The teen states that um, states the friend that parents' expectations are too much. Friend provides comfort, um, starts to act and look normal again, goes back to kind of her normal self. Male friend notices changes and helps teen build confidence. Parents notices no change other than grades are getting better. Male friend gives teen pills to help her relax with her anxiety, depression, and when she goes home, teen turns into a full addict. Um, And in love with male friend, male friend becomes abusive, Teen would rather be abused than to live with controlling parents. Um, Teen is um, at the hospital due to a suicide attempt. Teen referred to an an advocate myself um, due to an associate that I had at the hospital. Teen um, makes contact, talks in third person. She never says it's her in this situation. So I still see this particular teen and she continues to talk like it's not her. Um, still in a relationship, but realizes that she has a safe place to go, and teen wishes that you know she could just make her parents happy. So, so from things, the you know, po- mm-hmm. from the point of view of the the youth, and I, and I'm I'm thinking that it looks very much like it would from the adult that things start off pretty good. What what are the warning signs that should make a young person be suspicious that this could not be healthy for them. Okay. So what I've noticed um, as far as literally, um, I've really tried to break down, you know, things that we, you know, that as, you know, as myself, you know, we have tended, we have a tendency to kind of ignore. So um, the warning signs, I go into behavior and social. So it's, you know, we have to observe, you know, the types of interactions that the person had, that the abuser has. You know, does it add up to what they're telling you? You know, so it's like when you're in a, a, a setting with the abuser, you know, and they're telling you, well, you know, well, let's go back to when you meet the person and they're telling you about their friends and their family. 
okay, take heed to what they're saying. And then when you go around those particular people, observe, observe, you know, if, if it's adding up to what the person said, how the person will act. Because most of the time when you start dating someone, they're going to tell you, you know, well, my mom is like this. My dad is like this. My best friend is like this. So they've already given you those warning signs. So when you're around, just kind of observe how they are with each other, you know, and if it adds up. Sometimes that, you know, it's like, well, the mom didn't, you know, sometimes they could say, well, you know, my dad was abusive to my mom and he's, you know, he's just mean. You know, and then you meet the dad, he could be complete, the complete opposite of that. So, you know, throwing, look, just observing those things can be um, a good warning sign. Not saying that it always adds up, but it's just something to kind of take a step back and observe. Um, the next thing is, is um, you know, that goes into observe aggression, observe um, antisocial behavior, you know, listen to what they say about past relationships. Um, and then it goes into emotional, never accepting blame, um, always the victim, impulsive behavior, constantly questioning, you know, your whereabouts, what's going on, losing temper easily, um, jealousy, um, threatening murder, suicide, you know, those are things that you really have to, you know, pay attention to. Now, um, one thing I do notice is, you know, people ask, you know, when, when, do you, you know, when does this start? When an abuser can no longer act nice need to have control and they need to use intimidation or, you know, coercion. So, and I, honestly, each, each situation is completely different. So it depends on how fast the relationship is moving and how often you see that person. I know one young lady that's a close friend of the family. I remember that she thought it was just the greatest thing that her boyfriend always was calling her like if they weren't together and I think teenagers kind of get that feeling like like it means we're really in a good solid relationship if you're calling me all the time or if we have to be together all the time the parents saw it what it was which was control it was not love um and they tried their best to help her see that but you know, I guess it requires somewhat of a, a paradigm shift because we we do say, well, if someone loves you, they're going to want to spend time with you. Um, but when, how, how do we give them language on knowing when is something excessive? When it becomes excessive is when you can no longer have any any alone time or peace. You know, and that's one thing that I try to tell, you know, having a, that time to yourself and just, you know, if it's just doing homework or if it's just watching TV, if you can't watch a 30-minute show without a text message or, you know, being accused of something or, you know, what are you doing, what's going on, that's when you kind of need to, those are some red flags, you know, because you should at least be able to spend at least 30 minutes, you know, just like, with, you know, what I noticed also dinner with parents, you know, when you're having dinner with your parents and your phone is right there. Some parents have started, you know, no phones at the table. So if your phone is consistently going off and it's, you know, and then it's an argument after you pick up your phone for dinner, those are major warning signs that, wait, this person is controlling, this person can't handle, you know, me just having a simple dinner with my parents and I'm not doing anything wrong. Okay. So, what do you think it looks any different when uh, from the younger end to the, you know, older, more mature relationships? 
or um, does it, the abuser kind of has the same playbook, uh, control and isolate? I do think it's more of the, it's the same playbook. I, I really do. Um, I definitely believe the same playbook. I think that when we, you know, a lot of times that, you know, we, the ladies that come in here or, you know, the ladies that I speak with, um, they, they're not ready to leave the relationship because they think that it is love. They think, oh, he's, you know, calling me and texting me, um, you know, all these times because, you know, this is, this is how a relationship is supposed to go. You know, they want to know my whereabouts and it's love. But once you kind of restore, you know, well, you should be able to go out with your friend. You should be able to have a life. You should be able to, you know, go to work and not have to worry about, oh, I need my phone by my side 24 hours a day because if I don't, it's going to be an argument. What I try to, you know, let people know is if I miss your text or if I miss your call, I shouldn't have to argue with you when I call you, when I do have a moment to call you back. And that's that's a, that's a sign of an unhealthy relationship because things do happen. People get busy. You know, accidents happen. You know, you just never know. You know, your phone drops service. Some things are out of your control. So when the like the abuser is the one that's kind of chasing down the abused. Um, what about if the abused person kind of flips the script and they're calling them as often and they're trying to find their whereabouts as often does like, does the, in general, does the abuser appreciate that? Like, Oh, someone's be, you know, someone's sweating me as hard as I'm sweating them or, is that also can be a red flag because basically I need to know your whereabouts, but you don't need to know where I'm at. Well, that's still, you know, a matter of control because if you, that's a behavior that you picked up being in this abusive relationship, then that, you know, that's still a part of the abuser be, being in control of what you have going on. So the way I look at it is, you know, if you're constantly calling them, it's, you know, they, you're more of stroking their ego, you know, where look, look how I have this person where she's calling me constantly, constantly having, you know, to find out what I'm doing and where I'm at, but it's manipulating because nine times out of 10, the abuser is sitting there looking at the phone. Like I'm not going to answer because I just don't want to, or I'm trying to prove a point. Okay. So as a parent um, or a, a loved one, how, if you suspect that abuse is going on, and, and it's interesting that you said um, 82% of parents believe they would know if their child was in an abusive relationship, yet that's probably very false because there's so many kids that are in abusive relationships, and I would think there would be a lot more uproar or, or something if, if the numbers match. So probably parents are patting themselves on the back in for, for something that they actually are not aware of, because I think even as a parent of a teenager, I struggle to know what, what social media platforms are out there. He's the one who's told me, Mom, nobody in my age group uses Facebook. That's played out. So I'm on Facebook. He's not on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. He's a little bit on Instagram. He's more on Snapchat, and I don't do any snaps. So 
Um, and then there's Twitter and there's, um, there's so many other ones that mm-hmm. I don't even want to like mention. And so along with th- the cyber bullying, which is, you know, a whole nother episode, there's, we probably pride ourselves of knowing that something's going on with our kids, but we can't really even know how many ways they can be attacked or influenced because we're not up on all of their avenues and and no parent is because that's what separates the generations. Like, you know, my mom doesn't listen to my music. Like that's, that's Mm -hmm. just what we do as a generation. So um, what are the warning signs that parents can look for if they're not going to maybe do all the social media stuff? Um, Talk, talk to us about warning signs. Okay. So um, first I will, I'm not a parent. But, you know, one thing I do, like I said, is I work with teens and young adults. So from my perspective, you know, what I'm trying to do now uh, with some of the parents that I work with is we're just trying to go a different avenue. Um, one thing is that you just have to pay attention. It's not really any specific warning signs because each each child is different. So mm-hmm. what I do um, tell, you know, just kind of observe, you know, that, you know, you know, your child normally comes down on Saturday, let's say Saturday morning, you know, and they're speaking their, you know, they're upbeat, you know, normally, you know, or even they're groggy every Saturday morning, you know, you tell them, hey, you got to take out the trash. That's your thing to do on Saturday, you know, and it's like their demeanor change. It's just kind of being more observant of what's going on with your team. And if you just notice one little change, you know, ask, hey, you know, everything's okay. Is, you know, you know, is anything going on? Do you want to talk? You know, you know, just opening that door, you know, and then if you don't know, you know, notice any changes, the team is completely the same. And, you know, you don't know, you, you don't know something's going on and you start hearing things from other family members or, you know, teachers are saying notes or anything like that, you know, just opening that door with, you know, what's going on? Let's talk. You know, do you feel like you can talk to me? If you don't, let's find someone you can talk to. You know, just having that, that outlet where, you know, I'm not judging you. I don't, you know, I, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what's going on and maybe I'm not the person to help you, but, you know, let's open that, let's open that door, you know, while I'm here if you need me. Um, and just continue being consistent with that because maybe the team don't want to talk that particular day, but you, the parent just staying consistent with that because that's what, you know, as advocates, anybody that we see, we're just being consistent with them. You know, I see my clients once a week at the same time, almost, you know, the same week. So I'm being consistent. So that really does help, you know, especially people that have been, you know, victim to abuse. Um, one particular um, thing that I, you know, I'm really trying to, you know, I'm, I'm actually working with some of my, the teen, uh, parents, I'm sorry, um, is that when they, the first question I ask when someone comes in my office is, how can I help you? You know, and where, versus where a lot of times, you know, people don't ask, how can I help you? Because you may not be seeking the help that I want you to, to have. You know, because a lot of times, like, um, you know, the the statistic was 80% of girls who have been physically abused in intimate partner partner relationships, they still stay with the person. They still stay with the abuser. That's that's the the wretching part is, yeah, because Mm -hmm. they may not even uh, have the language around it. But, yeah, the fact that you Mm -hmm. said... 80% because that, that is my follow-up question is if you are, you know, in the situation uh, that you first began with the first case where 
she has been beaten to the point of needing hospitalization and they know who did it, um, then it's like, well, of course you're not going back with him, but she did end up going back with him. So as a parent, when we, you talked to me about this before we uh, did the podcast recording and you told me the biggest thing with your families is, is the hardest thing is that the abuser wants to isolate you, to have you completely dependent on them, to let you know that no one else loves you, no one else is going to be there for you, and that this looks like a normal relationship. And so it's a fight for the parents to stay in that child's life, and they absolutely mm -hmm. hate the man that's beating her, but you're actually encouraging them not to not to not to kill him not to not to be so um negative towards him that he never wants to come around and therefore your daughter never wants to come around because he's well, controlling her coming and going you, you know if you have if you're in a situation where you know you know it's abuse and your child is continuing to be in this relationship one thing that i'm i'm trying to you know tell people is that don't make every conversation centered around bashing the abuser you know, there's mm -hmm. other ways to rephrase the conversation. So if you know that, you know, your your child is, you know, in this relationship, you went to the police, you know, you tried to, you know, punish them, isolate them, you know, try to pick them up from school, drop them off, you know, the child is still going to find, still find a way to see this person and still wants to be with this person. So that's where, you know, my mindset is coming from, from this point of view. So, you know, as a parent, I would, like I said, the first thing I would ask is, well, how can I help you? And then, you know, also, you know, that's the control thing. So, you know, that he's reading all of her text messages. And then when he do talk, when you do talk to your child, you know, he's nine times out of 10, the abuser is right beside us. So instead of, you know, um, kind of just rephrasing what you're saying to your child. So instead of saying, you know, you need to leave the situation, you know, I don't, you know, I, you can't see this person anymore. You know, I just, you know, going in, he's beating you, he's doing this, he's doing that rephrase it with assuring letting your child know how much support you're giving them i love you home is always going to be a safe place for you you know just showing showing that team you know support which is what you're doing at that point is proving everything that he's putting in her head completely wrong like because the thing he's putting in her head your parents don't want us together so every time you talk to your mom or dad and they're saying you need to leave him that's proving him right your parents you know they're just trying to break us up if every time you're talking to your child, you know, you, I don't want you in this relationship. I don't want to see you. Just rephrasing what you're saying, you know, by giving your child support. Because the love you have for your child has nothing to do with that relationship. So that's what, you know, where, I'm, you know, in the teens, the thing is, is that you have to really, you know, I know that it's hard to ask a parent to do that. However, you know, you're trying to just, you know, save your child. You're trying to let your child know that I love you and I support you. I want you here. You know, you're you're very important. So when he, he can't come back and tell her, you know, what, they don't want us to be together. Well, she's on the phone listening. Well, we didn't even bring you up. My mom was just telling me how much she loves me, you know, and how much, you know, she, she's there to support me. And I'm not saying that may work. However, it's a, it's a new avenue to try. You know, you're just, and you're not feeding into what he's already putting in her head. Well, what made, in your second case, what, uh, contributed to the young lady's strength to leave. She found her aunt, a youngish aunt that could relate a little bit more maybe than her parents could. 
um, what what gave her the strength to leave? Um, let me go back to this one. Well, she was watching. T- um, the only thing that he allowed her to do was watch TV. So she was watching TV and seeing that, uh, like, seeing that other people are happy, you know, in relationships and what dating looks like, you know, in a different aspect. So, you know, she reaches out to this aunt and, you know, she's like, you know, hey, I don't think that I'm in a good situation. You know, I think I love you. I think he loves me, but, you know, think he hurts me and I'm not happy. So, you know, she reached out, which, you know, it's, she still deals with some other issues and things. But, you know, the fact that she observed that on TV and, you know, she reached out because a lot of times, you know, the abuser doesn't even allow the person to watch TV. You know, or have wow. any social media or anything like that. So, you know, that was one thing that he did allow her to do. And that's what really kind of the light bulb just went off for her. So how do we go about encouraging healthy relationships, especially since by the numbers, there's a lot of kids not growing up seeing healthy relationships. So mm-hmm. just, just you know, by, by your raw numbers, as far as how many kids have seen um, some degree of intimate partner violence in their own household, um, how do we... Um, as communities, um, uh, schools, parents, individuals, how do we um, start encouraging healthy relationships? I, I know one thing that I've noticed, and this has more to do with um, protecting children from predators, has been that giving the child control of their own body because when I grew up in the 70s, it was always go and kiss auntie so-and-so, go and hug uncle so-and-so. And if mm-hmm. you didn't want to, you were viewed as being rude or standoffish or something was wrong with the, with the child. And so a lot of times we were forcing kids to not have agency over their own actions and their own body. I've definitely seen that be a slow change. I'm not going to say that that's the way every household is, but I think that that's kind of an important step forward. But what are we able to do as a country, as a community, to encourage healthy relationships so that this cycle doesn't repeat itself? Well, one thing that, you know, is we have to reevaluate our relationships um, and we have to please refrain from this do as I say, not as I do, because teens are wise, you know, now. Nowadays, teens are wise beyond means. So don't insult their intelligence because they see what's going on. You know, just because, excuse me, that you don't, teens may not see um, violence inside the household. They hear arguments. They know when it's tension. They know when, you know, mommy isn't happy or daddy, you know, daddy left, you know, in the middle of the night. Like, So don't insult their intelligence. You know, something is going on. Just be honest, you know. You don't have to go into so much detail, but just honest, you know, we're not happy all the time. You know, we're, you know, we're having some issues, you know, but we're trying to deal with it. That's, you know, one thing, just honesty. Um, show healthy relationships, you know, show a good relate, what a good friendship is. Show what a good, you know, marriage or dating relationship is. Um, and don't shield your team because you're trying to protect them. And when I say that, like, you know, sex is on TV, um, you know, 
violence is on TV. Healthy relationships, some shows do show healthy relationships on TV. So shielding your teens, you know, from those things or, you know, is not really helpful with saying, you know, well, those things don't happen because it's not happening in our household. Um, if you don't know what to say to your teen, it's okay. You know, just because a lot of times when, you know, talking with clients, sometimes stories are so different. You know, each each person comes in with a completely different story. So it's okay for me to say, well, you know what? I don't really know how to deal with this situation. But what I will do is, you know, try to research it and find out what's the best solution or what's the best advice I can give you. Or as parents, let's research it together and let's find out, you know, what's the best solution for us in our household. Um, agree to disagree. But listen, listen without interruption. One thing that I do know is I, I allow teens to come in and they just talk and just talk and talk and talk. I don't interrupt them because a lot of times in one or two sentences, they may say something. And then if I interrupt them, I, have, I don't have a clear understanding of what they're saying or what they're doing. And they get, they get frustrated because it's like, well, you didn't let me finish. And that's not what I meant. Because after maybe two or three paragraphs, you know, then it may come to, oh, okay, I get what you're saying. So just let them talk you know, without interruption, um, which allows them to, you know, fully express themselves, be consistent. That's one thing that I've noticed that, you know, just really being consistent with, you know, are you okay? You know, is there anything I can do to help you? Just be consistent with asking those questions. Don't ask just because an incident happened. You know, once everything is smooth and everything is good, you know, still continue to ask, is there anything I can do to help? You know, how, is there anything that, you know, you need from me? Um, show them that trust is built and not earned. It's not, I mean, I'm sorry, trust is built and earned. It's not instant, you know, so doing things like that, you know, just letting them know, you know, you have to build someone's trust. You know, it's not something that I'm going to give someone immediately. Um, you can be a parent and a friend, just have healthy boundaries. You know, if, if that's something that you know, you're not like, if you're not comfortable with talking to your teen about dating violence, sex, you know, sexual assault, suicide, that's fine, you know, and be honest that you're not comfortable, you're not there yet, you know, then you can make and find someone else or the team may say, well, hey, we heard about this advocate or this program, like like the one I work for, South Island Response Center, where they give trainings, they give volunteer opportunities, you know, maybe we both can go and do those things. Okay, that's good information. I definitely, I know that you're doing some work within the local community college, I would love to see you do more work in the high school and even middle school setting just locally for us. And hopefully um, there'll be some doors that open because if they're not seeing it at home modeled, at least like in the case of that one young girl, she's watching TV and she's, she's getting the idea that this is not the way it should work. And so the more ways that we can equip communities, people, individuals, children, et cetera, to, to deal is the better because um, one, one life lost is too many. But just knowing, again, that, that horrifying statistic that half of the women that die in our country are killed by um, a current partner or former partner, just, you know, as I said, sends chills up my spine. So, I am happy that you were able to join us and um, look forward to continuing to talk to you um, about these different issues um, that affect us in our communities 
and especially trying to help all of us become uh, better in our relationships and better parents. Thank you so much, Sharika. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Uninhibited. You can find more episodes to download at iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also continue the conversation at uninhibited.community on Facebook, where you can like us and share. And you can continue chatting on Instagram at uninhibited.podcast. Special shout out to Trap Quilo for the beats.